Welcome to Gut Feelings, a Roan Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly series, Dr. Drossman and I are frequently joined by guests as we discuss disorders of gut-brain interaction, their diagnosis and treatment, and of course, patient-provider communication skills, trainings, and tips that are helpful for patients and doctors alike. Thanks for joining us. Hi, and welcome to Gut Feelings. On this episode, Dr. Drossman and I discuss chronic illness and that vicious cycle that so many patients seem to fall into with hypervigilance about their symptoms, overattention, which then exacerbates symptoms and has them seeking health care with no real results. And this cycle continues without any re- resolution for both the patient and for the providing physician. How can we help patients better manage chronic illness like IBS and other disorders of gut-brain interaction? How can we ensure that their clinical visits are effective for both them and their providers? And how do we get off this vicious cycle that serves no purpose for either patient or provider? Dr. Drossman and I discuss all of these issues and some practical tips for both patients and providers in this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today, we are going to talk about a couple of different types of cycles, vicious cycles. It's something that you've probably heard us talk about a little bit in the past, but these are behaviors that many times patients can fall into, whether that is um, vicious cycles in our health-seeking behaviors or cycles in how we interpret the role of stress and pain. And so Dr. Drossman is here with us today to talk about these vicious cycles and how we can avoid them. So Dr. Drossman, how are you today? Doing okay. Um, You know, I see patients with very often very complex uh, GI problems who are caught in a vicious cycle. And this affects how they interact with the healthcare system, and it also affects how they deal with their own illness. So I'm, I'm going to show you two of them and uh, try to talk about why this is happening and then maybe how you can get yourself out of it. So if I share screen... The first one is the patient-physician vicious cycle. And I think this will become evident to you if you've had situations with chronic GI problems. So you end up getting a severe GI problem, let's say pain and diarrhea or vomiting, and it's really disabling to you. And you kind of figure you got to find somebody who'll give you the right medication and you'll get better. And so you urgently go to the doctor, you go to urgent care, they may do a few tests and send you home and you're not any better and you don't wanna go back. So you might go to your primary care doctor and you want some tests to make a diagnosis of what's wrong. Is this an ulcer, is this cancer? And the test may come back negative. And all this time you're expecting to get immediate relief. And this goes on and on. And eventually you end up going to the specialist and the specialist does a lot of tests 
puts you on medications, in some cases surgery. Sometimes they do things that could cause harm and you generate costs for more and more tests. Why aren't you getting relief of your pain? Why isn't this getting better? So you end up getting referred to another specialist and the, the specialist either puts you under more tests or puts you under more procedures and you're not any better. You still got the pain or the diarrhea or the vomiting. And this leads to tremendous frustration and hypervigilance, meaning that you're focusing a lot on your symptoms and the term symptom-related anxiety occurs. Just if you eat a meal and you get pain, you get more anxious because it hurts. And we see this vicious cycle over and over again. Now, there's a problem with this. The problem is that the vicious cycle in itself is incorrect. It's not the way to go with these problems. Now, let me give you an example. Um, we have learned to understand medical illness in terms of a quick fix. You have an infection, you have an ulcer, even if you have a, a gallbladder attack, it gets fixed. But chronic illness is something different. Chronic illness, often chronic pain, doesn't have a simple fix. It can go on for years. And chronic diarrhea can go on for years. And there can be treatments, but many times it's not that easy to treat. And what we need to do is to change the expectation. This comment about urgent requests looking for cure is a change that has to do. We have to change into understanding that chronic illness deals with management. You want symptom reduction. You want improvement in quality of life. You want a clear diagnosis. And then over time, as you get better, the symptoms get better and you don't need to make these, these urgent requests. The other thing that's missing from this vicious cycle is the patient provider relationship. You notice that the direction is all toward tests and treatments, not toward working with management of the illness. So you've got a frustrated doctor there, uh, you have a frustrated uh, specialist, and you have a very distraught uh, young woman with chronic illness because she, she wants a sense of hope. She doesn't want to be abandoned to be given to more tests, and she wants to get some resolution. The way to do that is through the relationship. The doctor and the patient have to work together on understanding the nature of the management, giving it a proper diagnosis, focusing on treatment options and not doing more and more studies. So this is an example of a vicious cycle that can occur when you move away from a patient provider relationship toward the, the elimination of symptoms in an acute manner, like an injury, when really we're dealing with chronic illness. I don't know if that gives you a sense of that. Any questions on that, Joanna? No, but I, I definitely would agree with you having experienced this type of uh, cycle myself as a patient. Um, and I think resetting expectations and that focus on the relationship are both very key in this for patients with chronic illness. So let's say in your case, if you look at the top part, what would happen? You go to the doctor, they do tests, 
the tests are negative. How does the doctor treat, how did the doctor treat you and how did you respond to that? Yeah. So every time I would get more blood work or a new um, x-ray or CT scan or, or whatever that may be, and it was negative or normal um, in normal range, it was very frustrating because then to me, it was like, well, then what is it that's wrong with me? What do I have? Um, and when those, when those studies came back as normal, uh, the doctor in my case would just say, okay, well, I guess you're fine. There's nothing more I can do here. So thanks so much. Uh, it's all going to be up to you. Then you just need to drink some more water and you need to exercise more and learn to relax more. And, and that was very frustrating because those were not real solutions in my opinion, and, and weren't very helpful for the severity of my symptoms. Um, and there was really no diagnosis. It was like, well, I don't really know because all your studies are normal. So you must be okay. Um, that, that left me frustrated and, and left me trying to find someone else who maybe might be able to find the right diagnosis. Right. So then I'm seeing multiple doctors, as you mentioned, and asking for more testing and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on here. And, and I think the other point you made is that you weren't given a diagnosis. And I think that that relates yeah. to two things. One is, again, with this dualistic model, if they don't see something structural, they don't think it's real. And even though they might say it's a functional GI disorder or IBS, they don't fully understand and believe it. So the way they tell it to you is rather dismissive. Well, you may have a functional GI disorder. Uh, let's see what happens. Uh, or or uh, maybe we'll find something else. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think I totally agree with you. Words matter, you know, for patients who are struggling with chronic illness, they're holding on to every single word that the physician is saying. And so if they're saying, well, I guess it may be, then they're going to assume that the doctor's just guessing and that that's probably not it. So find what's it. But if the doctor is saying, yes, everything is you have IBS with diarrhea. That is your diagnosis. Um, it's more concrete and you're able to accept that and then say, okay, so what's next? What's the next step then? So the disorders of gut-brain interaction are real diagnoses made by Rome 4 criteria with some screening evaluation, looking at red flags. If they're not there, then you can say it with confidence, but the doctors don't always believe it. So we're trying with the Rome Foundation to promote the reality of this. So if I then said to you, you have IBS, here are the criteria. This is how your bowel is more sensitive and it's creating diarrhea. And here are possible treatments. Should we talk about that? Maybe we should stop doing more tests and focus on management. How would that sit with you? Oh, it would have been night and day. I mean, I, I I think back to my first office visit with you, Dr. Drossman, and after a thorough examination and discussion about the symptom severity and chronicity of them and whatnot, you know, gathering the full history and picture, um, and then you came back into the room and said, I know what you have. You have IBS with diarrhea post-infection, and I like... I think I, I think I teared up, like just like finally getting a diagnosis that made sense. And then you would begin to explain, you know, what was happening inside of my body and why you knew that was what I had. 
Um, and then what we could do now together as a team to treat it, that was the first experience I had had with that type of uh, a communication and message. Um, so it was very exciting and very relief. I was relieved that I finally could move forward now and hopefully find some relief. And you did. And Absolutely. This, and this... This is why this is the patient position because it takes two. Um, and you have to, the patient has to learn the techniques to communicate with doctors uh, just as much as doctors have to have the techniques to understand and do patient-centered care. So this is a this is a critical element. Um, you may you may know we wrote a book together, Johanna, and <laughs> and that book gives you some guidelines about that you can find it on the rome website all right let's move on to another vicious cycle we call this the biopsychosocial vicious cycle and i give this to practically every patient that comes to me who has severe symptoms and if i ask them what things make your pain worse they might say well if i eat a big meal or if I, I'm having my period, or um, uh, otherwise I can't find anything. I think it might be this medication. And then I say, what about stress? And they say, no, stress isn't causing this. I know this is real. Now, how would you hear that when someone says that? Well, it's, it's that... For so long, most patients with these types of severe um, chronic illnesses have been taught to believe that they are at fault because of the stress that they have in their life. And so when someone mentions a relationship with stress, it's an immediate red flag and you kind of get defensive as a patient, like, I'm not causing this. This is real. You know, it's not my job. It's not my kids. It's a real illness. And so understanding the relationship and the role of stress is different than saying stress is the reason why you're sick. Exactly. And so we have this social um, influence about this is, again, mind body um, dichotomy. The brain got the mind body dichotomy is that. If you don't find anything structural, it must be psychiatric. And this has been instilled in our society for over 300 years. So we have to break that cycle. And that, that's the vicious cycle of the attribution of a symptom not being caused by stress. And if you say it's not stress, I know it's real. I've got some work to do to communicate that I understand the reality of what they're experiencing, not saying that stress is making it happen. So one of the things that is very important is we start to talk about brain-gut interactions. And this is a, we've shown this before once or twice. The pain comes from the gut, it goes to the spinal cord, it goes to the brain. And then the brain has the ability to send down signals to block it or to open the gate. It's a gate control. So when this gate is closed here, not much comes up and you don't feel much pain. When the gate is open, a lot comes up and you feel a lot of pain. Now take a wild guess 
Um, if you were under a lot of stress, would the gate be open or closed? Uh, in my case, it was wide open. <laughs> okay. And you can be hypnotized to open the gate and to have pain when you don't normally feel pain. And you can be hypnotized to close the gate and get rid of pain. You know, um, World War II, uh, Henry Beecher was an anesthesiologist who, who um, was on the front of the Anzio beachhead and, and was giving morphine to soldiers wounded in battle. And he found the morphine requirement was virtually none. And then when they went back to the hospital, safe from the war front, the morphine requirement went up and they had more pain. And he hypothesized that, well, something's going on by being in the environment at the brain to block the pain. And he his hypothesis was being injured, they were knew they'd be back safe in the hospital or they were fearful they might die. And this concept of pain just wasn't there. Once they were back into safety, the injury became much more apparent. But at the time, the brain energy going on was blocking the pain. So if we talk about the brain-gut axis, we can understand the role of stress playing a role, but we also have to understand more importantly, the role of pain contributing to stress. So when I talk about patients saying they have that the pain is making me stressful, I say you're absolutely right. Chronic pain can go to the brain and cause alterations. You can take a laboratory animal and stimulate or stretch the bowel or injure it. And areas of the brain like the locus ceruleus, which is a, a center for anxiety, fires. So the pain contributes to changes in the brain. This is the brain-gut axis. It's hardwired system between the gut and the brain. So if we understand that, then there's a power. The brain has the potency to modulate this. Hypnosis can do it. Medications like neuromodulators can do it. Yoga, meditation, uh, distraction. And so there are all sorts of psychologic things that could happen. Uh, expectation, if you have a positive expectation that it's going to go well, and you have a conditioning experience where it has gone well with some treatment, you get better because the gate closes. Do you know what expectation and conditioning is? Uh, you know I don't like these pop quizzes, Dr. Drossman. <laughs> it's placebo. Placebo is expectation and conditioning. You believe something's going to work and you've had some experience where it has worked. And you know what the opposite of placebo is? Nocebo. Nocebo is where you have negative expectation and negative conditioning. Right. And so patients come in and they take a medication and they get a bad side effect. And then they get anxious about taking other medication because they may get a side effect. And guess what happens? They take a new medication and they get a side effect. That's yeah. because the brain has the ability to modify these factors of what's going on here. So now uh, the other thing that can happen is with chronic pain, you can get structural changes in the brain that can seriously affect your pain control and your mood. 
So if you understand this bi-directional pathway, you understand that the brain isn't causing this. The brain is part of a system of regulation where what happens in the gut can affect the brain. And generally the brain is going to get affected by that. So back to this diagram, this is your inner world of thoughts and feelings. This is your symptom, let's call it pain. These are outside events like daily hassles, major light events, environmental and political crises. I guess none of these have been happening recently, so we can put that aside. No. But so I say to a patient, do you 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 have so much pain, how is it affecting you? It drives me crazy, it gets me frustrated, it gets me depressed, I can't work. I said, "Oh, so what you're saying is the chronic symptoms are causing you distress, emotional distress. They can accept that. I said, well, how did it get that way? So we, I say, Mr. Jones, let's go back to the first time you had abdominal pain. Let's say it was 15 years ago and you got a stomach ache, just like you get now. What did you think about that? And most often they'll say, well, I got a stomach ache and, and I knew it would get better. I said, now, 10 years later, what happens when the same symptom comes? Oh, it's totally different. I can't deal with it. I just want to get away. I have to find a bathroom. I get irritable. I said, so something happened. The pain symptom is still the same, but you've changed. You've trained, changed in terms of your appraisal of this symptom over time. That's because chronic symptoms, when they occur over and over again, upregulate and give more and more signal to the brain. And that leads to arousal, where your nerves get more revved up and autonomic activation. And sometimes people will sweat and get nauseated and vomiting because of the pain, because their whole nervous system is revved up. And then that reinforces the reality of their symptoms, the appraisal, it affects cognitions and mood. Get anxious and depressed, affects cognitions. I can't deal with this anymore. Nobody can help me. Look how much money I'm paying Dr. Drossman and he's not helping me. These are the kind of the cognitions that are maladaptive. And so the only way you deal with it is through hypervigilance. So now you're constantly aware of the symptoms and I say, how much of the day do you think about it? And they say, 100% of the time, it's on my mind. Well, then you're not thinking about anything else. You've got selective attention. You're ignoring other things in your life, and your whole focus is on the pain. But you're not resolving it. In fact, this just makes reinforces this pain as becoming more of a threat, and so it continues. So that's your vicious cycle. And once people can see that vicious cycle, they can understand that the way to extricate yourself from it is to go back to the understanding of the brain-gut axis and recognize you can make gains at the level of the gut through neuromodulators or hypnosis or other or even GI treatments. Uh, you know, if you have if you have constipation, linaclotide or lubriprostone, uh, which has pain benefit, and you can do psychologic treatments because you can now reduce the level of hypervigilance and selective attention through exercise, through reality checks, 
and homework assignments where you start to question, well, really, how bad has it been? Can I really get over this? Yes, you can get over it because you always have gotten over it. So this combination of brain-gut treatments can actually break the vicious cycle by changing nocebo to more positive expectation, by changing your pain beliefs that this is curable or removable or can be reduced by reducing maladaptive cognitions. And then eventually you can reverse the negative wiring that's causing the, the, the neurodegeneration and it can, you can get regrowth of nerves and reverse your, um, uh, your pain gut cycle. So. Great stuff there, Dr. Drossman. Thank you. I think we all need refresher in this, particularly those of us who are patients and, and have experienced this, um, even though for myself, I understand this and have been able to, to change the way that I handle my illness. Sometimes you tend to fall back into those old behavior patterns when things start flaring. And so it's a good reminder of how you need to be handling these situations. And you know what I say at that time is that if you've gone through this, as you have, is I say you're in a different place now. You're not going to trigger all those thoughts like you had 15 years ago, you may have some of those thoughts, but you're also are not, you're, you're, you're more, you're, your system has changed to the point that you can see it with a level of dissociation and say, yeah, I see that happening, but I can get through this. So it's that it's, there really is a mental change that Absolutely. probably reflects structural change as well. Absolutely. Very good. Well, if that is you, I hope this was helpful for you. If you have any questions or would like um, any more details, even if you would like these really great images to help you remind yourself of how to break these vicious cycles, I'd be happy to send them to you. Just send me a quick message um, or comment right here below this video and we'll get those out to you. So until next time, continue to stay safe and we will see you soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye now. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. Find more helpful tips, downloadable resources, videos, and more on our website at theromefoundation.org. Look under the resource tab for our patient Q&A videos, gut feelings blog, articles, and more. Have you purchased your copy of Gut Feelings, Disorders of Gut-Brain Interaction and the Patient-Provider Relationship book yet? Be sure to find that on the Rome Foundation website and place your order, or find us on Amazon as well. We look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Gut Feelings. This has been your host, Johanna Reddick.